It's good to see all of you and to be with you again. I want to let, well, just let you know that the church here is on our hearts at the Church at Fellowship. You are prayed for in our services often uh, and remembering you that the Lord would grant you a pastor who will come in and have you on his heart and that the pastor will be on your hearts also uh, that will uh, encourage you in the way. We're all familiar with the events uh, around David. We know David's life. Most of us who have read Scripture and been raised in the church, we know a lot about David, how that he was a young shepherd boy, the youngest of the sons of Jesse, and how that God chose him to be the king over Israel. And God, through his providence, through several years of trial and struggle, of triumphs, of disappointments, of heartaches, brought him to be the king and set him up over the throne of Israel and prospered David's reign. We also are very familiar with the events surrounding the David and Bathsheba and the ultimate cover-up of David in his slaying of Uriah and the cover-up there. It was indeed undoubtedly the very lowest part of David's life, uh, the most shameful part of David's life, the most damaging part of David's life. Romans 15.4 tells us when Paul was writing to encourage the people of God in the book of Romans would say this, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. There's something to profit even about uh, the events of David's uh, relationship with with Bathsheba and the cover-up of that and how that God dealt with him over that. There is something that we're to learn from that because uh, the things that were written for uh, aforetime were written for our learning. And here's the result of what we should learn of that, that we through patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope. So there are three things that Paul says we can get about, about things that were written aforetime. One, instruction. We receive godly instruction for the direction of our own lives and we receive exhortation and comfort from that uh, to exhort it uh, there are certain things that we should learn from David's experience that should instruct us and in instructing that that would exhort us to a greater and closer walk with God because I think that's the purpose of God in giving his scripture is that we can profit as the children of God and we can be exhorted on what traps to avoid and what things that we should avoid and what things uh, that will enable us to live lives of walking closer to God. And that should be all of our goal and our aim. And the next thing is that as a result of all those things and that comfort that gives to us that God is with us, one of the great things is that God never forsakes his people, and no matter how deep a hole we may dig for ourselves, God is merciful to bring us up out of the very pits of hell itself and to enable us to walk and to know him. And that that's our should be our chiefest aim. Uh, you know, um, of every any relationship that we have, the most important relationship you and I can have is the relationship that we need to have with God himself. 
and uh, through His Son, Jesus Christ. That should be our chief aim. And to keep that relationship rich and sweet and tender and to recognize that there are things in our lives that can cause us to lose sight of that and indeed to damage that that brings dire consequences in our lives. And then the, the third thing that I want to remind you of that the Scripture is given ultimately to give us an earnest expectation. And that's what hope is. It's an earnest expectation based upon the truths revealed in God's Word. There's no true expectations that we can have with God that doesn't come from His Word and is based upon His Word. God is a God who is a God of truth. He's a God of uh, light. And for us to fellowship with Him, John would write in 1 John, we've got to walk in the truth. And we've got to walk in the light as He is in the light or that we can say all we want to about our relationship with God, but if we're walking in sin, our relation with God is hampered and being destroyed if we're not brought to a repentant heart to where we truly change the directions of our lives back to the direction of God. So there's some wonderful things that are contained in this example of David. So what are some of the instruction? Because one of the things that Paul says there in Romans 15:4 is that we we are to to learn. What is it that we need to learn? And there are many things in the life of David, and especially with his sin that he committed with Bathsheba and the resultant cover-up. There are things that we can learn about that. And the first is that we need to recognize that even the greatest and the noblest of men are capable of great sin. So we need to realize that if a man like David, and I want to remind you, look at yourself. Can this be said of you that was said of David? That David, God's own testimony concerning David was that he was a man after God's own heart. That's God's testimony concerning David. God would call him my servant David, which indicates that God recognized that David's life overall was geared and surrounded with the desire, deep desire within him to be God's servant. As a matter of fact, when we look in the New Testament, that term servant is the name that the apostles like to use more than anything. And if you read the writings of Paul or Peter, you will come and you will find that they'll get down and they will call themselves as, 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 as what they want to take on, is that they are the servants of God. And I want to remind each of us that we are the servants of God. A lot of times when godly men sin, we want to be able to, We the first thing we do is get mad, get upset, and I find a lot of people make judgments, well, I knew they were never born of God to begin with. And granted that when we sin, there are consequences of that sin, that we will have people look at us and they have every right to call and question our testimony, whether it's right or wrong. But I want to remind you, it is not for us to decide who is and who is not the, the child of God. What we need to be concerned about is what is right and wrong. 
What is right behavior? What is wrong behavior? What pleases God and displeases God? And we need to look at that in our own lives because sometimes when we ourselves sin, we begin to say and doubt whether or not we ourselves are children of God. And ultimately, if we're not careful, we use that as a to continue in our sins if therefore I'm not the child of God it doesn't matter what I do and I want to remind you that then we begin to find an excuse for our sins instead of bringing ourselves to the reality of what we need to decide in our lives is what is right and what is wrong when we understand from God's word what is right then we also understand what does God require of us. He requires of all men, regardless of their election, God requires of all men to do what is right. Their not being elect is not a justification that they will be able to stand before God and say, well, you didn't elect me, and therefore I couldn't help myself. We are accountable. Mankind is accountable to God for our behavior and our actions. And so we can't use the fact that God didn't prevent it, that God didn't stop us, or God didn't change our heart, or all those to be used as excuses. Granted, God needs to change our hearts. But brethren, as long as we're trying to find justification for our sins and continuing in them, we will never get to the design purpose of the Scripture, and that is to convict us of the wrongness of our sins, the wrongness of our actions, the wrongness of our behavior, and it's the purpose of the Scripture is not to cast blame on God, not to cast blame on uh, everybody else, but to bring us to responsibility for our sins to where we confess our sins and we turn from our sins and we change and we begin again to do that which is right. There's wonderful things about the Scripture is that the Scripture does not leave us without hope That's or, or instruction. We're not left in some foggy land about what we want to do. But as long as we're wanting to hold on to sin, sin will always cloud the issue for us. And so we want to wonder. Well, remember that. We need to understand, uh, as I said, first learn that any of us, if we are not careful, and if we're not seeking after God with our whole heart, when everything, even in our, and we can do this, even in our service to God and our performance of godly duties, we can be so careful as we can get so far off in our relationship with God that even our godly duties become more about us and who we are and uh, become a source of pride. And I want to remind you, a prideful heart, God despises. It's sinful. As a matter of fact, pride probably is the root sin of us all. And we all can get caught up in pride even of our spirituality. And we know that because when we look at the New Testament, when Jesus began to deal, deal with people, 
the most difficult to bow down to him were people who were caught up in their own morality and their own religion and their own feelings of self-worth and not dealing with the fact that though they may not be committing acts of sin that were considered by society the heinous sins, but that the sins that we have in us is sufficient to damn every one of us. You know, you may not be an adulterer. You may not be a drunkard. You not, may not be a drug addict. You might be a simple person who's proud in your uh, intelligence, proud in your abilities, proud in your your uh, youth, proud in your age. I mean, all of us can find things to be proud of. Perhaps pride isn't your thing, but you're covetous. You're envious, you know, of those things. And generally, brethren, uh, if we've committed one sin, I guarantee you, like David, uh, in David's involvement with Bathsheba, it wasn't just the fact that he committed adultery, but you look at all those. He was guilty of a lot of other sins, wasn't he? Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not covet. And when you covet, the Scriptures tells us it's as the sin of idolatry. And what is the first commandment? We're not to have any other idols, but we're supposed to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. So, uh, you may be sitting here, well, I don't have the problem that David did. The, the idea is not, let's concentrate on, on one, one sin, but the fact that all of us sin, and all of us can fall in any sin, at any time, and that no matter what the sin is, our sin, our personal sins, are repugnant in the eyes of God. And God's Word calls on us to repent. Uh, and that's His Word. We need to understand that we are not to be so proud that we ourselves cannot fall. Uh, Paul would write in 11.20, it tells us not to be high-minded. There are a lot of men that I've known of and women who may not have got trapped in in the sexual sins or the the addictions, what we call the addictions, uh, addictive sins, but they got caught up in pride and and who they were. I came from a great family. You know, I've never, have you ever done this, uh, looked at others that around you that might have fallen into some sin and you've never done that? And have you ever wondered, how could they do that? Brethren, let me tell you, perhaps the reason we think how they they could do that, each of us should be instinctively aware that any of us at any time, if uh, under any circumstances, if it were not for the grace of God, we could commit any sin. I could commit a murder. I could, I could uh, do anything that is within of the probability, and would do so if it were not for the grace of God. And brethren, any of us would be entrapped by any sin if we did not keep a close relationship with God and that we understand the danger of our own sin nature and that we aren't real about the real enemy that lies within The real enemy that we combat in is our own sin nature. It is an enemy to that which is good. 
it is an enmity against God. And therefore, brethren, we have got to fight within. Many of us fight other people without and their sins. And we don't come really to how that our own sins are affecting our witness of God to our families and to our church and to our communities. How that our own personal sins hamper the witness of God in our lives. And that should be important to us because God created us to be the expressions of His image here on earth. So it should be important. What kind of effect am I having? Are there sins in my life? Secret sins. That's why we need to beg God constantly. God, open up my heart. Reveal to me my own self. Let me know who I am. And also to know who you are. So we're not to be high-minded, but we're to fear. We need to understand the weakness of our flesh. And we need to begin to begin to make steps so that we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. We need to do that. We need to be realistic about that. Uh, because I want to tell you, our enemy, our enemy knows our weakness. And he is out there seeking whom he may devour, just like the roaring lion. And he knows, and he has set for each of us traps, That if we are watchful and careful and stay near to God and pray to God and be where we should be, which David wasn't, uh, he should have stayed with his army, and he should have when he saw Bathsheba, he should have turned away and got out of there and gone back. But he didn't. He succumbed to his fleshly nature, didn't he? Have you ever heard men blame Bathsheba? Because she was up on a rooftop taking a bath. And I want to tell you, brethren, David was held accountable for his sin. God holds David accountable. And so we're not going to find justification. That's our sin nature that wants to put, if she hadn't addressed this way, if she hadn't thrown herself at me, or he hadn't thrown himself at me, this wouldn't happen. Brethren, let me tell you, the problem isn't others. The problem's right here. And so that's one of the things we can learn. We begin high-minded when we want to think that we're above such things for one, for one thing. And we become high-minded when we think that we do not need to guard our steps. That I'm so spiritually close to God that, you know, I don't have to do this. No, there's not any of us who are so close to God, but yet we have to guard ourselves every day. Romans 12.3 tells us when he was dealing with this that we're not to even think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. There, if you're sitting out there and you think, well, I'd never do this, you're, you're deceiving yourselves. All of us are deceiving ourselves if we think we would never do something because that's not true. Any of us could do anything. If a man after God's own heart could commit these are you greater than david is your heart toward god greater than david's is can god look down at you and say oh this man is so perfect listen how many of us would even bear up if we have the testimony that god gave of job and says okay satan you've been walking here now have you considered my servant job you know who's perfect in all his ways who excuse evil is the upright man you know and 
and if if God was to remove his hedge from us, are you greater than Job that you could withstand the trials and temptations of Satan? Brethren, I, I, I listen. These men in the Bible were great men. David is a great man. You read what he says about God and his relationship with God and the things that he says about God. My feelings are very shallow in comparison to David. So how do I think that somehow or another I'm going to make it through life and I'm not going to have to recognize that, that I am subject to falling into a sin? That is blindness in itself. It is not taking seriously the very nature of sin itself. One of the dangers of sin, it blinds us to its evilness. And it blinds us to its destructive end. And it enables us to think more highly of ourselves. To the point that when, you know, even that we deserve, see, we deserve more respect than what we get. Do you know that's from pride? Well, I'm the pastor. I'm, I'm Brother Jerry. I deserve more respect than what I get. Brethren, it's not me that deserves respect. It is the Word of God that deserves respect. And we need to understand that. It's God's Word that needs respect. And when I begin to think that I should be respected, the focus becomes on me instead of on God. And who are we as Christians supposed to be turning people's eyes to? Are they supposed to see our good works and glorify us? Or the purpose of good works is that men will look and glorify God. So you see that we're even blind to our own pride and things like that. We as, as parents, sometimes we're more upset that we think, uh, and, and husbands with our wives, we get more upset because we feel like we deserve more respect. And we get angry when people aren't doing respect, even when we may be, when we may not be men who deserve respect, we still are so proud we think we deserve respect. Right? What about at your work? I deserve better attention than this. I deserve this. We get that all the time. We get angry with our employees when God calls us just to do good and do all to the glory of God. If we really felt like that, then we wouldn't have these feelings that I'm not being appreciated. I'm not being valued enough. Where does that play in with David? Brethren, let me tell you, David was very covetous because God had already provided him with women, with wives, more than one. Uh, why? He'd already provided him with that. He provided with him everything. But it wasn't enough to satisfy David at the time that he had to take somebody else's wife. And brethren, you, you think, well, I'd never do that. But the same attitude is in our lives when we're wanting praise for ourselves instead of praise for our God. When we're doing things as a husband, as a father, as a employer in our work, or as a wife. When I, you know, I'm not just speaking of men, but wives or and and ladies at work. When the main goal is all about you and you needing to be validated by fellow sinful men instead of wanting to hear, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant," because what you've done is for the glory of your master. 
then we realize that we're no different than David in some ways because the root problem of sin is in us just like it was in David. We all have the same problem. That's, that's why, brethren, we ought to love one another because we realize at heart that we all have the same problem. And thanks, thankfully, we've all got the same remedy, and that's in Jesus Christ. But we're all having the same problem with us and the same problem that, that makes us uh, to where we can, can be with one another and, and help one another and encourage one another is that we all recognize that our main problem in all of us is, is sin. And so we can't be high-minded. We're not to think more highly than we ought to think of ourselves. Verse um, uh, 12 of 1 Corinthians 10 warns us, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And his, uh, Paul was using that when people were laboring with weaker people in the church. And that when we deal with weaker people in the church, we need to remember that we too are men of clay feet. And except for the grace of God, there goes I. And then when we help one another, we need to recognize we don't come from the point, how dare you or how could you? But we come with people who with mercy and kindness and and understanding of the frailty of life and offer the hope that is the hope for all of us is through Jesus Christ the Lord and that we all need Him. And if it wasn't for His grace, we couldn't do that. And we need to not only understand uh, uh, that we are not to be proud and that we need to be humble and recognize that, that we too are sinful and we're subject to sin, we're very prone to sin, and how much we are dependent upon God and dependent upon His Word and we're dependent upon our brothers and sisters holding us accountable to walk right with God. That's what being part of a church is all about is that we are accountable to one another and there to encourage one another to press on in the kingdom of God. Not only do we need to understand the danger of sin and to be not so proud and to understand that that if a great man like David can sin, uh, you know, and, you know, it's pride to think that we are somehow not subject to sin like a great man of David was. If he was, we are. Then the next thing we need to understand is why do we sin? Why do we sin? And a lot of times when we think about that, we want to blame, well, we sin because God didn't keep us from it. God's sovereign and God. You know, I, I was listening to somebody who I know has fallen into a particular sin. You know what their excuse is? I'm praying that God will change my heart, but He hasn't. And you look at His life and say, because God hasn't changed heart, I'm just keep on doing what I'm doing. You know, and I'm just waiting for God to change my heart. Brethren, let me tell you, there's evidence that God hasn't changed His heart because He's still rebelling against God and what He's doing. He wants to use God's sovereignty as His excuse for His rebellion. And brethren, that is not right. You cannot blame God. God is neither tempted nor does He tempt any man to sin. And I want to remind you of that. You can't blame God for your sin. Well, I want to blame others. You know, uh, it's how I was raised. It's, it's um, this or that. Uh, you know, my parents were too mean, too cruel. Or my wife doesn't understand me. Or my husband doesn't understand me. Or my parents don't understand me. 
we all look for excuses for why we do the evil that we do. And I want to remind you that God calls us to look at the fact that we sin. I sin. And my problem with sin is not God and it's not those who are around me, but God holds me accountable for my sins. Look at what uh, James was right. James was so powerful in writing this. James chapter 1. Look at this. James chapter 1. We're all familiar with this. I, I would think if you're not, you need to be familiar with with James. I've always loved James because James is very plain speaking. He doesn't leave any squiggle room. You know, he just puts it out there like it is black and white. And either you come in line with the Word of God as revealed through His servant James, or we deceive, continue to, to deceive ourselves or feel like that God's Word is not adequate enough to describe our situation. That we know more about what we are and our condition than God Himself does as He's revealed it in His Word. James says this, uh, we're very familiar with it in James chapter 1 verses 13. Let's look at it. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Oh, Alright, there you go. Don't say you're tempted of God. Don't put it on God's fault. Don't put it on God's sovereignty. Though God is sovereign, but God says you're not going to use my sovereignty in your life as an excuse for your rebellion and your sin. And, and, uh, what is, let's just describe sin for what it is. Sin is treason against the Holy God. Sin is saying that I love me and what I want above loving God. That's what sin is. Let's understand the seriousness of what it's saying. People were sinning, oh, I love God. Your sin is not an act of love toward God. My sin is not an act of love toward God. It's, a, it, it's an act of hatred and defiance against Him. It's saying, I will not have you to rule over me. It is constantly saying to God that I would rather, I, I, you know, I think that, that I can uh, guide my life. I think that your provisions for me and the way that you say that I live doesn't work, and I am wise enough to choose my own path. And then, if you don't change me from it, you know, it's all your fault. Brethren, that's not an act of love. That's hate. And we need to realize the evilness of sin. So we can't say that when we're tempted, that it's all of God. For God, I love this, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now, does God try us like He tried Joseph? Yes, but I want you to realize if you're under trial, not tempting, being tempted to sin, if you're under trial, listen, God's purpose of that for you as a child of God is always that He knows what the end result is. And the end result is this. David would say this. He knoweth, I mean, not David, but Job would say that. He knoweth the way that I take. And when He has tried me, What's going to be the end result? I shall come forth as what? Gold. When God tries us, it is to deliver us and to bring us 
closer to Him. It is to get rid of all the chaff and all the things that we have that hinders us and shining forth to the glory of His name. When we are tempted, brethren, the purpose of temptation, when Satan does that and, and we're tempted of our own lust, is for the purpose of our fall and our destruction and to keep us from shining. It's to keep us in the dark. It's keep us from giving a, a clear witness to the people of God. So we find here that it says this, that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of what? His own lust. First of all, that puts the responsibility on ourselves. The problem lies within. The reason I am tempted is because within me is desires. Desires that both are godly desires, but also in this sin nature, there is that in me that, that have selfish desires. It's centered around Jerry Hunt. And, uh, I, I, you know, I like things to revolve around me and my needs. You know, that's the way we are. But that's a sinful desire uh, that we have. Uh, that sin is within me and in my lust. Even ambition of itself is not bad. But when we have ambition that is not, that is geared, uh that is uh, directed for our own promotion and our own glory, then we become sinful because every ambition that we have should be an ambition that brings the uh, glory to our God in our lives. All that we do is to be done for the glory of God. So I want you to realize that that even ambitions uh, that we have that might we consider are great ambitions, that we need to recognize that even ambition. Uh, in our jobs and our, if, if it's not for the glory of God, then we've got to recognize that if it's not for God's glory, whose glory is it? And brethren, doesn't that fall into the category of idolatry when it's all about our glory? Yeah. So, so as a pastor of a church, I have to consider sometimes when I'm working with my church and teaching my church and and sometimes the church isn't understanding what I'm saying or receiving what I'm saying. And there uh, is ultimate conflict that comes there. Then I have to decide if I pursue this, whose pursuit am I, whose glory am I after? Am I after me? Am I being wounded because they're not listening to me? Or am I grieved because they're not listening to God? Am I going to react in that I'm going to get angry? Uh, or am I going to be loving and merciful and, and just ask God to, to reveal it to them and be patient and wait and labor among the kingdom of God? Is it about me or is it about God? We all have that. You know, it's, and I'm like that with my wife and our relationships with, with one another. That if there's conflict, you know, have I got to stress my point and make her bend to my room because it's all about me and what I want? Or is it going to be about what is best for the glory of God in our lives? A lot of times we're not considering what's best for the glory of God. We're considering what's best for me. What's going to make my life easier? What is it that I want? Who cares about what you want? What you want is in subservience to what I want. And brethren, if that's not idolatry, I don't know what it is. 
And that's where we get in everything, right? Have you ever been in a job that you upset at your boss because he's not recognizing the hard work you do? Are you there because you want to, are you there for you? Are you there in the place that you feel like God has granted you this job and God's looking after you and making, providing, therefore, you're there to give glory to God? And it doesn't matter if you're recognized. As long as you know that God knows you've given your all. That's what it should be, right? But all our sinful nature, we need to understand that while we sin is directly connected to our own evil, corrupt hearts. And it ought to break us and grieve us of the danger that we're in. And then we see this, that when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth fruit. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. No doubt, if we knew the destructive, if we stayed aware of the destructive forces of sin in our lives and the destructive forces of the sinful choices we've made in our lives, we may, we may have made different choices. But one of the things, evils of sin, that once it gets hold of us, we don't care about the consequences as long as our self is satisfied. We blind ourselves, those of us who know the Scriptures. I'm not telling you something you don't know. You know the Scripture says this, but the nature of sin and the danger of sin, it blinds us to ourselves that we are, we, when it takes and is conceived, one of the fruits it is, is I don't care about how it's going to affect my family. I don't care how it's going to affect the saints of God. You know, I don't care. And listen, I'm praying, God, that if this isn't your will, you'll change me. But brethren, let me tell you, it's not up to God to change. It's us. God, we can't do it without His grace, but brethren, God holds us accountable. God commands David to change. He commands us to change. We cannot preach effectively to a sinful world unless we bring the reality of the devastation of sin and its consequences. When I was out at Ripley for the men's meeting here recently, they they uh, mentioned something, and I forgot which minister said it, but it was this. We can choose our sins, but I want to remind you, you cannot choose the consequence. David chose his sin... But I guarantee you, David wouldn't have chosen the consequences of his sin, and he didn't. That was in the hands of God. And we need to recognize that we may think that somehow or another we could choose the consequences, but we can't. Sin has consequences, and God glaringly says this, that the consequence of sin is it brings forth death. Not only physical death that can it bring about, which is a judgment, but it can bring about the death of your desires to be useful in the kingdom of God. It can be the death of your relationship with your spouse. It can be a death of your relationship to where you can no longer have an effect with your children. It can bring to death, death so many devastating things 
that our sin uh, can bring into our lives. Oh, but God's merciful. Yes, God had mercy on David. But brethren, the sword never left David's house. And he saw it carried out in the lives of his children that had to break his heart. So, sin is a serious thing. And I love that 16th verse to remind us because I think it's not only connected with what goes before, but what goes after. Do not err. Do not err. My beloved brethren, sin is serious. We need to understand why we sin. We need to understand the consequences of sin for the wages of sin is death. Brother Jerry, you painted such a terrible picture of sin. I'm squirming. You're making me feel miserable. I didn't come to to church to be made to feel miserable. Then I'm just going to tell you, then you didn't come to the church for the right reason because you came to the church to hear the Word of God. And God uses the Word of God to convict us of what? Sin. But I want to tell you, because God in His grace, sin is a reality. But all the greatness of the mercy of God because there's something that we can do about sin. See, the things were not only written for our learning and for our exhortation, but it was written that we might have comfort. Yes, the sword never left David's house, but oh, God still used David to be a glorious king and he's held up. Listen, even when Solomon sinned and he took the kingdom, uh, split the kingdom, he still kept the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. You know what he says in that? I'm keeping it for my servant David's sake. All the mercies of God. There is hope for sinners. We know that because the Apostle Peter would say, this is um, Peter, Apostle Paul would write to Timothy and say, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners in whom I'm chief. Thank you for your kind attention.